Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam. And I'm Josh. And we're here to break down three of the hottest financial events that happened this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse. Whether you're on your way to work, at the gym, or wherever and whenever you have the time to get updated. So, are you ready? Let's get into it. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Market Bites. My name is Josh Gilbert, and today I'm joined by Ben Laidler, making two appearances back to back. Ben, how are you? Yeah, good. It's uh, as you say, two in a row. I mean, God, the uh, the the host should be worried. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, if Sam wasn't sunning himself up in in Lake Como, living the good life, then then yeah, he uh, he should be worried. But but no, thank you very much as usual for for joining. Look, plenty to to sort of get into over you know the last sort of couple of weeks. It's it's a good time to be doing a podcast at the moment because there's always plenty to talk about, which is which is quite nice. And markets always throw a lot at us. So I think first up, best place for us to start, Ben. We've got to talk about this huge rally that we've seen on on Wall Street. You know what a run it's been. Whether you know it's the S and P or the Nasdaq. Um, you know what a great start we we've seen so far. This year, I think Nasdaq's up more than 35% year to date, one of its best starts of the year in history. We obviously had the Fed pause last week. That's only seemed to sort of fuel the market on as well. So the big question I think that a lot of people are going to be asking now is, can this continue? You know, and what is investor sentiment looking like right now? Yeah, as you say, it's huge June, right? Just to put it in perspective. A third of the entire S&P 500 return that we've seen this year has come in the last three weeks. And more broadly, if you annualize the, you know, that big NASDAQ 100 return you were alluding to that we've seen this year, you get to levels we've only seen once before. And that was the 1990s sort of tech bubble. So I guess what I'm saying here is, you know, we are due a pause. We are due some sort of slowdown, at least in, in the pace of this rally. But having said that, I think this rally is very fundamentally driven and therefore well supported. These sort of economic slowdown risks that we've been sort of us and everyone else have been talking about, frankly, for a year and a half now, just could keep being pushed back. The US economy is probably going to grow something like 2% this quarter, which is very healthy. Earnings growth forecasts, which are, you know, the oxygen to every rally, are rising now, not falling, as, you know, I think the bears have been expecting. Inflation continues to fall. We got another, you know, latest number last week. So we have had 11 straight months of down inflation, you know, in the US. And those long-term inflation expectations, which the Fed really cares about, absolutely anchored at 2, 2.2%, exactly where the Fed uh, would like them to see. And this combination is doing two very positive things. One, you know, wage growth now running above headline inflation is giving consumers sort of purchasing power back is putting sort of money back in their pockets. And two, this collapse in pricing pressure that corporates are seeing, just to throw one number at you, we had 
producer prices in Germany yesterday at 1%. Eight months ago, those were 45%. And we're seeing sort of variations of this sort of story globally. So this is giving companies you know, relief to their profit margins and driving this increase in profit growth sort of expectations. So, so that's the fundamentals. So what's been the sort of icing on the cake of this rally, your point has been, it's not just about the fundamentals, it's also been about the technicals. And we've seen just this very bearish investor sentiment, which we've lived with all year, has been capitulating. And that's basically investors now chasing this market higher. We see that sort of various ways. So hedge funds, you know, long only positioning in the US was less than 50% a couple of weeks ago. Now it's sort of up at 80%. Retail investor sentiment, which was down at maybe only 25% of investors were bullish a few weeks ago, is now up at sort of 45%. Uh, we're seeing mutual funds and ETF positioning, which you know had seen something like 80 billion of outflows this year, now beginning to see some sort of small inflows. So again, however you want to look at it, this rally has really been driven by you know the combination of very strong or improving fundamentals and now this sort of capitulating investor sentiment. So long, long-winded answer to your question, but in sum, absolutely we're due a breather. But I think... Um, I think the rally is very well supported and I think markets will probably be higher at the end of the year than they are right now. Yeah. All of that optimism and then sprinkle a little bit of AI on there. And you've got a you've got a winning combination for the market that we're seeing at the moment. And I'm sure heading into sort of Q2 earnings, we're going to see some more talk around AI. And it'll also be really interesting as well to see if NVIDIA can uh, can match that huge 50% increase to to its revenue forecast, which is what obviously sent the share price soaring last quarter. So let's let's sort of move overseas. Let's let's sort of throw it across the uh, across the ocean. Let's move to China. It was the recovery that was. Now it kind of isn't really. But what we're seeing now is officials are slowly but surely aiding the recovery. We had two cuts to lending rates from the People's Bank of China last week. Two further cuts to lending rates from the Chinese banks this week. Getting some optimism a little bit from the local market here in Australia, from the materials sector, those stocks that are sort of exposed to China a bit more. But then looking at Hong Kong today, we've had some some of that optimism drain away. Tech names like Tencent and Alibaba have come off a, a fair bit today. And I think the key to that is that we're still missing this stimulus package that the market is longing for. So do we think that China is going to open the taps, Ben? Will it be drips instead of a flood? And, and what does all of this mean for one, Chinese equities, but also those equities that are exposed to China as well? Yeah, so I think it's going to continue to be sort of drip-fed stimulus. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think investors maybe got a little bit sort of greedy here in anticipation of what was maybe to come. And I think the context is important. Let's just remember, China is on track to be the only big economy globally that's going to grow more this year than it did last year, right? Uh, they're sort of zigging when everyone else is sort of zagging, right? The story in the rest of the world is, you know, how big's the slowdown? The story in China is, you know, how big is the rebound? GDP is still on track to grow over 5% in China this year. That's a level that, you know, any other big economy in the world can only dream about. You know, the authorities would clearly like, you know, the economy to be growing a little bit more and a little bit more broadly now than it actually is, you know, particularly to be more balanced, right? The consumer is absolutely sort of rebounding here. The focus is, you know, manufacturing is not because China is the factory of the world and the world growth in the rest of the world is slowing. 
and because of the property sector and the property sector, which the Chinese have been deliberately trying to cool because you know it has too much debt. So, you know, they're, they're trying to give a sort of helping hand to the property sector sort of right now, but they are going cautiously, right? They have a lot of debt, especially in the property sector. They don't want to add much more to that. So I think there is more to come, but I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be reasonably targeted and they don't want to overstimulate. So, you know, I think more government spending to come. I think there may be more interest rates, you know, to come, although, you know, we've just had some some cuts. You know, remember, you know, they have 0% inflation, right? I'm sitting here in the UK where we've just had, you know, another sort of 8% plus inflation print. You know, China has zero and it has interest rates at over 3%. So it's one of the few economies in the world that has real interest rates and has the ability, I think, to, to, to cut more. And then finally, don't think investors are as cautious on China as maybe, you know, if you look at the Hang Seng or Chinese equity indices may lead you to, you know, to believe. We've definitely seen this sort of roller coaster of performance, this massive reopening rebound in the fourth quarter of last year, the sort of first quarter disappointment, which put the Hang Seng, you know, back in a bear market a few weeks ago. And now we've had, you know, real sort of June, you know, June rebound. But, you know, again, sort of zoom out a little bit. You look at the proxies for China, and they've all performed really well this year. And they're basically some of the best performing, you know, sectors in the world. You know, look at European luxury stocks, look at global semiconductor stocks, look at Japanese equities, look at the Nikkei 225. You know, these are basically the three best performing assets in the world this year. And arguably, the only thing they have in common is very significant exposure to China. So I think investors are a little bit more bullish on that China reopening than they may sort of lead to believe. They're just maybe choosing to play it in a little bit more of a sort of, you know, proxy, one step removed fashion through these sort of global proxies rather than through, you know, local stocks themselves. Yeah. And it, and it also sounds like a little bit of patience is needed. You know, as you said, drip, right. drip feeding in terms of, you know, that stimulus coming through, not sort of flooding that market. At the end of the day, they did get themselves in in this in, in this in this situation themselves. So I'm sure they're not going to be quick to, to to sort of go too far and you know and and cut rates too quickly and then feed inflation, which is what we've seen right. in the rest of the world. So outside of that, China is is one that's had plenty to do with crypto over the years. But away from from China, we we've had some pretty big developments on crypto in general in the last sort of week. The world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, has filed for a Bitcoin ETF. Now, as it goes, BlackRock knows a thing or two about ETFs. They've had 575 accepted ETF applications and just one denial over its tenure. I'm not sure about everyone else, but those look those odds look pretty good to me. This also seems to come at a pretty nice time, I think, for crypto. We've had Bitcoin today jump back above $28,000 coming off the last sort of week or two where we actually saw Bitcoin fall below $25,000 as well. And as I say, coming at a nice time when, when the crypto market seems to have been slightly clouded by plenty of talk around you know, reg- regulatory impacts and how you know, that SEC crackdown is, is going to affect the market. So Ben, what does all of this mean for crypto, and and why do you think a Bitcoin ETF is is so important and has got investors so excited? Yeah, it's it's certainly felt recently that you know crypto's dropped out of the conversation, you know, despite it having you know the best gains of any asset class you know in the world this year, and it's always sort of interesting. It's always an interesting contrarian signal when you do see an asset class sort of dropping out of the of the conversation, especially when. Um, I think you have sort of a bunch of sort of interesting catalysts all sort of beginning to come together, you know, behind the scenes, as you as you say, 
you know, that crypto ETF, if anybody can pull it off, it's going to be BlackRock. And I think that's really key to, you know, giving mainstream investors, whether it's retail or institutional, that sort of clear on-ramp to the asset class. You know, on top of that, I just noticed yesterday, you've got this new sort of EDX crypto exchange, you know, launched by some real sort of traditional finance sort of heavyweights, you know, Citadel, Fidelity. So, you know, maybe despite all the sort of hand-wringing of the sort of sell-off in recent weeks and the sort of, you know, crackdown that we're seeing from the SEC, that sort of institutional adoption juggernaut is still sort of ticking away, you know, behind the scenes. I think this regulatory crackdown now very well may be a case of sort of short-term pain for long-term gain to the extent that we get you know, more regulatory clarity in the medium term, which the marginal buyer to the asset class, which I think is that institutional investors really craving. And then, of course, you know, we have the Bitcoin halving to look sort of forward to next year. So, you know, despite all the sort of, you know, maybe negative headlines right now, I think you scratch the surface and I think it's a lot better than it looks. Now, you know, clearly dealing with the sort of here and now, I mean, the, re the recent weakness has really come from this accelerating SEC regulatory crackdown. This has driven, you know, two months of sort of big institutional outflows from the asset class. And as I say, institutions are the marginal buyer here. This is an asset class which was really founded by retail investors. It's very well owned by retail investors. And therefore, you know, that long-term growth, I think, from here comes to institutional adoption. And that's why I think it's, you know, it's very heartening to see this new EDX exchange. It's very heartening to see BlackRock pushing ahead with, with, with an ETF, that that institutional adoption story and those on-ramps and that facilitation very much, you know, remains in in process. But, you know, you definitely see this wedge being driven in the asset class between the likes of Bitcoin and Ethereum, which aren't classified as securities and have been, you know, very resilient this year, and those sort of alternative coins, the likes of sort of Solana, Cardano, which are now classified as securities by the SEC and have, you know, sold off as, as a result. But I think the other thing, and you, you sort of alluded to this at the beginning when you talked about NVIDIA, you know, the asset class has also sort of suffered from the sort of tech and AI rally, you know, just sucking a lot of the market oxygen out of crypto. And, and those that are looking for growth, those that are looking for risk, those that are looking for sort of tech adoption, basically found it elsewhere rather than, than in crypto. You know, and you've seen this, the price correlation between crypto and the NASDAQ, for example, has collapsed. And, you know, NVIDIA now has the same market capitalization as the whole of crypto. So I think, you know, these things sort of yin and yang, I, I think, uh, you know, that interest will return. But I think this combination of the SEC crackdown and just this um, tech outperformance sort of juggernaut has, you know, combined to sort of, you know, depress crypto a little bit. But as I say, scratch the surface. And I think things are, are looking, you know, reasonably healthy under the surface. Yeah. And it was interesting, the point you mentioned there about that sort of wedge between, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum and and the other altcoins like, like Sol and ADA just sort of looking at the crypto top 10 assets performance this year bitcoin is is sort of well out of well out in front at 75% gain year to date and that's i would say probably unusual from what we've seen from previous cycles when altcoins have have tended to outperform and that is obviously down to the fact that we are seeing you know obviously this this wedge as you say between the asset classes with the sec classing some security some assets as securities you know and bitcoin obviously not in in that realm as well but look i think we've we've covered the top topics for the week there ultimately we're probably going to be seeing a bit of a bit of a breather from from tech just slowing down this rally we've seen so far from so far this year 
China going to be drip feeding some of that stimulus coming through. We'll keep some of those sectors, you know, on watch, as you say, some of those best performing sectors this year, you know, as, as that reopening continues to sort of come to fruition that that could continue to, to benefit those asset classes and, and crypto will, you know, BlackRock launching that ETF is, is obviously, you know, giving it a huge tail when jumping to, to close to 29,000 as we speak. But again, thanks everyone very much for listening today. A quick reminder to head over to the eToro Academy where you'll get guides, videos, and much, much more. And of course, don't forget to like, subscribe, and give us a share. And if you're on Spotify, of course, give us a rating and don't forget to ask some questions there and we can uh, we can answer those for you next time. Ben, thank you again for two weeks in a row for, for filling in. And uh, as always, your insights are very, very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks everyone. Trade safe. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.